Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's, uh, let me see, Tuesday afternoon, I finished school. Let me take a look at the parsha, parsha mishpatim. This is being sponsored by our good friend Avrami Mering, uh, who sponsored before. <clears throat> Thank you very much. And uh, mishpatim is always kind of hard because it's sort of like a, a, a disjuncture in the narrative. You have the whole story of march to Mount Sinai and then the giving Ten Commandments, and then it picks up at the end of the parsha where it says Moshe Amar Alei Alei, you know, up the mountain. But what's up is this business with the Mishpatim in the beginning, uh, and Evadivri and all the rest of it. First of all, it's just interesting that you see over here, excuse me, you see over here that the Torah is pretty capitalist. You know, there will be slaves. Uh, why don't they simply say, you know, there won't be slaves? Uh, instead of saying there'll be slaves, but there'll be limitations on it or something like that. Uh, <clears throat> they already figured you're going to have a situation in which... Uh, how should I put it? Some Jews will make poor choices with their money and end up being majorly in hock and they'll have to sell themselves as slaves or something, pay off the money and that sort of thing. It's just interesting, you know, uh, because, you know, uh, uh, no, the is realistic. <clears throat> On the one hand, you shouldn't be a slave. On the other hand, you know, debts run up and people are, some people are improvident and some people make bad choices. Others make smart choices. That's why some end up rich and some end up poor, I guess. Remember, from the minute they left Egypt, they were quarreling around Moshe Rabbeinu, which is why Yisra told them to reform the judicial system, all the rest of it. <clears throat> because, as I say all the time, you know, you can give everybody a million dollars. A month later, you know, one guy will have $10 million, the other will be nothing. And that, that That's that's more or less how it goes. So, uh, that's why the Torah gets involved. No, there will be people who punch each other out. You understand? There will be people who get in a fight and punch a pregnant lady. <clears throat> it's going to happen. And so, what do you do with that? It's a parasha for quarrelsome people. But we saw that the Jews were already quarrelsome at the time of Yisrael. You know, parasha is Yisrael. So, um, that's that. However, <clears throat> and, <clears throat> you know, if they told you, tell you, you know, we forget that the Jews, especially when they left Egypt, but <clears throat> it's hardwired into us, some people have a thing for machshefes, you know, that they like to go for magic tricks and things like that. Uh, a lot of people do superstitious things on the from side these days. You know, it's how it goes. <clears throat> now, the one thing, as I read through the parsha yesterday, the one thing that came to my attention, because when I read through it, so, you know, what is it that's going to jump out at me? And every year it's something different, I think. And what jumped out at me this time was very interesting where it says in the Perkov Gimel, right? Uh, where it says you should rest on Shabbos, Sheshis, Yomim, Tasim, Asech, and so forth. So, how do you, what is that? Whatever I told you, you should watch, you should keep. Well, of course. What's that? 
Now Rashi gives midrashic interpretations, halachic interpretation. <clears throat> but what is that? In other words, I'm giving you tired misses and keep it. You should be careful. First step is over here. <clears throat> and you shouldn't even mention the, the the other gods. Their name should not be in your lips. You should not even mention the other gods. Um, you know, like why they mention over here? Uh, he just finished talking about bribery and Shabbos. Two interesting ideas that go together. So what do you have to do with this? That, uh, you know, And what's the next Pesach? The Shal Shugon. It's Chag HaMatzah's Tishmor, and then Chag Ketzir, and Chag and so forth. Right? So, it's just interesting how you, at least to me, how you play these things together. Now, lately, um, I find myself looking more in the Meshach than I used to. Uh, with me, it's an aesthetic thing. When I had the old copy, it was like boring print. And it wasn't so inviting. Then I picked up an Israel one that's Manukad, but without any Mepharshim or anything like that. And that's even better. But now I see they came out with the Meshach Chachma de la Bamba, you know, with all the, uh, 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 like a Kahati at the bottom, so to speak. And they did a good job, I must say. And uh, Meshach Chachma is often very original, but in unusual ways, in unusual ways. And here's one of them. I'm asking the question as the reader, why here do you have to say What's that got to do with the previous Pesukim? But the Meshach Chachma flips it. And he says that you should read this as the introductory Pesach to the coming paragraph. The coming paragraph is the Shosh Ragon. I think this is the first time. The Jews have just gotten the Ten Commandments. They're still obviously in Eretz Yisrael. I mean, in, in uh, Harsina, excuse me. It's a long way to go. They don't know it's 40 years, but it's a long way to go. And Hashem is already telling them, when you get to Israel, there's going to be something called Shoshogon. The language is a little ambiguous. It's not 100% clear. Uh, if you just spent by what's in our parsha, Consider well. It's Chak HaMatzah's Tishmor. Didn't say go to Yishalayim or anything like that. It says Chag Matzah Tishmor, and for seven days eat matzah. Kivoyus Nitzrayim below Yerub Panai Rekom. First step is lo Yerub Panai Rekom. And who said don't don't come me empty-handed? You know that's Mesechtas Chagig and all that. You know bring carbonus, but uh, who says? That there's even a mitzvah to go shalshagon. You get what I'm saying? It's it's a little strange. It's disjuncted. It's like, you know, I say something and then I skip over the ikr and then I add something else. And she was in sukkahs. Ah, only now does it say three times you go to Hashem, to the Mishkan or the base of Mikdash, and so on and so forth. So we're introduced to this idea the very first time, right after the Ten Commandments. It's just interesting that in addition to every and all this other business, you're soon going to get to Yisrael, and when you're there, you'll get your land, but three times a year you should present yourself to me, God. Go to the base of Migdosh or whatever they'll have. Right? Later in the Chumash they amplified a little bit, but it's not 100% clear. Now, 
That's fine. So what about the pussy before it, which says, I don't want to say the word of another God, but even to mention it. So why this extra emphasis and all the rest of it? So, again, a very original way, it seems to me, if I understand it, it's saying that the first pasuk is an intro to the rest. In other words, before we get to Chag HaMatzah, Chag HaOsi, you know, Pesach and Shavuos and Sukkot, uh, before you get to that, um, there's something I want you to know. And what I want you to know is, so when you go to the base of Mikdash, don't bring up any other gods. Why would somebody do that? Why would you think that's necessary to give a warning when you go to base of Mikdash for Pesach or Shavuos or Sukkot? Why would somebody in base of Mikdash want to mention another god? And then Meshach says something very interesting. He said, you're drawing right, they would. After all, there were idols in the temple. And what's wrong? What What's to stop somebody from making, you know, <clears throat> a logical extrapolation from one idol to another? Well, we're talking, we're talking about the Kruvim. Right? Talking about the Kruvim. Let me read you this, this short passage from the Meshachach. It's very, to my mind, very thought-provoking. It says, Hu hakdama shashugam. That this is the hakdama to the Pesach Shavuz and Sukkot. Meaning, Read this Pasuk first, it's beginning of the old paragraph. When they go on Shoshagot, and the Gemara says, they used to take out the Kruvim and show them to the pilgrims. Take them out of the building and show them to the pilgrims. And the two Kruvim uh, were wrapped in each other like hugging and kissing. So it's certainly erotic, you understand? That uh, the hugging and kissing, almost like a romantic way. You know that Gemara, that, uh, and it's, what's the name is all in that, in uh, great length, I remember, uh, Nefesh Achayim too, remember? So, when the Bizman shows him Ritzon Shalmakam, the two crew were hugging and kissing. When Yisrael is not Ozen Ritzon Shalmakam, they're like turned away from each other and all that. So when you look at the crew, miraculously, it was like a barometer where things holding your bonus Shalom. You know what I mean? It's like t- it's like taking a blood test, you know? like taking a te- a test. You know, you think you're doing okay, and all of a sudden you read the test, it's not so okay. So, oh, I didn't know that. And then you say, well, have you, uh, you know, uh, been eating this food and that food lately, or this thing and that thing? You say, oh, yeah, I have. Oh, well, good point. I didn't notice it until we took the test. Or you weigh yourself on the scale, or whatever it is. But uh, when the Jewish people might think everything's hunky-dory, and then you show up in the base of Megas, and they see that the crew are turning away from each other. And they say, oh, yes, really? What has Kali Yisrael been doing wrong? I know it's not me. You know how it goes. It's not me. Until maybe it starts to make them think a little bit. So maybe it is me, which is the whole point. So nevertheless, this is calling attention, which the Gemara Yuma does, to the fact that Judaism, which is supposed to be an anti-idol religion, has idols at the very core of the religion of the race of Mikdash and the Kodesh HaKadoshim. That's the Kruvim. Okay? And what does Gemara say here? He has the quote. Amr Katina, I think it's in, in Yuma. Bishashah Yisrael on Laregal, when the Jews would come in masses on Shoshu Golan, Megalimus 
it's a parochas. They would pull aside the parochas and Marin Lehem is a Krubim. And they would show everybody off the Krubim who would be into each other, with you know, uh, hugging, uh, wrapped up one with the other. For Omer Lehem, and it would say, That this, what looks to Krubim, are like, I don't know how to say this, you know, they could be asexual, you know what I mean? No, they could look like a boy, look like a girl. You know, young uh, uh, faces and all that. So you could you, you could interpret this way or that way. And what they would say is, see how, every, see how they're hugging and kissing each other, like really into each other? That's Hashem and the Bnei Yisrael. In other words, this famous vort that you and I hear all the time, which is that Shir Hashem is a mushal for Hashem and Kal Yisrael, and that Shavuos is like a marriage of Hashem and Kal Yisrael, and all that sort of thing. So this was shown physically, uh, materially, in the Kruvim. It's a rather weird aspect of the subject. No question about it. But obviously, I'm wrong. It was, you know, they they uh, they, they did this as a basic part of the Shal Shogun once upon a time. Okay? Now, in the Gemara, it says, Amr Shlokish, B'Shosha Niknesu Nochem Lehechel, when the Ganyim entered the base of Migdash, Presumably at the time of the Khurban. Roa Krubimurim Zelzeh. So they saw the Krubim, you know, as they see, hugging, kissing each other, really into each other. Hotsin Lushuk Biyamru. And to make fun of the Jews, they took the Krubim out to the Shuk. And they said, Yisrael Halolo, Yasku Bidvarm Ha'elo. That the, these Jews who are supposed to be so smart, this is what they're into? Ew, disgusting. Mian Hizilum. And they like treated them, you know, cheaply. Now, uh, you know, so the Krubim is a funny business. Because, again, we're not supposed to have any idols. And you'd think in a perfectly Maimonidean society, even the idea of God is an idol. You know, Kabbalah comes from a physical representation. So here we are in Beis HaMikdash. And Vosepis. So, this is very clever. Um, that before you talk about the Shosh and before we talk about the occasion when the Jewish pilgrims will come and see these two idols, the Krubim, wrapped into each other, like seriously into each other, so uh, have a warning label beforehand. And the warning label is, Do not confuse this with any other idols. You understand? Do not confuse with any other idols. Because the Krubim are just Krubim, the other things are deities. And even though they're all physical representations of something spiritual, do not mix them up. You understand? Um, and uh, um, that that's interesting. So, now let me say this. Here's an interesting idea. There's a Gemara over here. And they said, I think it's the Yuma, where they talk about the fact that when the Romans busted in, they saw, you know, the Krubim and this and that and the other. Uh, doesn't mention that in Josephus or anything like that, to my knowledge. Krubim, of course, were covered with gold. Uh, you'd think the Romans would mention it. But it seems, you know, from a historicist perspective, it seems to be something that's possibly confused or, or conflated with a famous incident that I do recall, and that was the first conquest of the temple by the Romans in the time of Pompey. This is 100 years before Titus. At the very beginning, like in 63 BC, something like that, there was a Jewish state, 
and we blew it. It's very, very sad to read. It was by that time a Maccabean kingdom, a Hashmanoi kingdom uh, of the Jews, which really included all of Israel besides the um, Negev, but it also included Avrayari. If you ever look at a map of the Hasmonean state, as they call it, it's pretty doggone large. It's it's bigger than the area of the 12 tribes. Bigger. Which is interesting. Incidentally, that is the time, just before the Romans showed up, when the Jews owned and ruled Gaza and the whole Gaza Strip, possibly with the exception of Ashkelon, but everything else is part of the Jewish kingdom. Uh, you know, Yanai and those guys. Shlomo Alexander. It was a long time ago. But, as we know, you know, the Jews blew it. And they allowed the quarrels between the two princes to bring in the Romans. And I'll spare you all the details. It ends up with the Romans besieging the base of Magdush and eventually capturing the temple. Again, I'm skipping the details. And when they captured the temple, I remember Josephus describes how the Roman commander Pompey, Nias Pompeius, uh, went to the high priest, I think it was, and said, show me the... Uh, the, the the golden donkey, the golden ass. And the coin goes away, he told me, everybody knows, the Romans said, that the Jews in their Kodesh HaKadoshim have a gold statue. It's a boy sitting on a donkey. That's what they said. And it's all solid gold, and as a Roman, I want the gold. And the coin said, it's not true, and Pompey was going to kill him. I forget exactly how, but he persuaded Pompey not to kill him, and that it was all bogus. It wasn't true. The Jews do not in the base of Megdash have, uh, you know, a thing like that. Uh, a boy in a golden ass. So, where does that come from? Why would Pompey think that way? And other Romans did as well. I remember Tacitus. Uh, was a very, very interesting paragraph or two or three about the Jews. Very, very interesting. Says that, um, you know, they have, like I say, a golden statue of some sort or another. In the Kodesh Kadashan. This is a very widespread belief. Now, <clears throat> Pashib Shot, you say, the enemies of the Jews put this out there, especially the uh, Kusim, the Shomronim. Because um, the Shomronim, the, 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 the Kusim, claim that they're the real Jews and that their base of Migs that they constructed on their own in Hargrizim was like the real McCoy and the one in that we have in the uh, how Marie is not. And therefore they claim to be the real Jews. And they still do. I was in a Samaritan village once. That's what they claim. Uh, so they, you know, that's who they are. And of course we uh, reject that. And so this, But then in the Maccabean, in the Hasmonean Wars, John Herkinus, the nephew of Judah Maccabee, who was the Jewish king, let's call, let's call him that, Yochan Kongoro, he conquered the Samaritan base of Megiddo and burned it down. And according to the rabbinic sources, Demus Yona, they found like an, a, an idol of a dove. And uh, and that's what they put in their, in their quote-unquote base of Megiddo. That became a big part of their uh, religion. And the Jews made fun of them. They said, you claim to have monotheism, really worship a, an, an idol of a dove. And the Shamronim, the Kusim, hit back and said to Jews, uh, they're the ones who really have an idol in their Kodesh HaKadoshim. 
It's an idol of a, of a boy sailing a golden donkey for certain reasons. So this is very widespread. And it seems to me there's some echo of this when they say that, you know, people want to see the base of Migdash and it was a sign how close they are to Hashem and all the rest of that stuff. So whatever the case is, we have an extremely frank, um, classically Kabbalistic display seen here. You see two uh, two idols that are mamish, like all into each other. Mu'ur and Zebazet. Think about that, what that means. They're intertwined with each other. They're like mamish really into each other. Uh, like a boy and a girl. Right? And, I mean, a boy and a girl are crazy of each other. Now, why do you bring that up? That's well known. That's like Sher Sherb. Let's put it this way. The most vivid way to describe passion is through the uh, the sexual model. That's why Sher Sherb is written the way it is. Isn't that what we say? Um, so here, it wasn't a matter of Sher Sherb. It's a matter of seeing something physical. Ru'uchi baskem Shem. Right, see how much you're beloved to God. I can only surmise that this is something that was calculated for Hamunam. A Rambam type guy doesn't need a statue two people seeing each other, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but the Hamunam, the farmers, all the others, you want to say Hashem loves you, you show a picture. And when they would do that, fine. So Zokdim, the Meshachachma, the Kacham or Kodem, so because this is going to happen, meaning, here they are in the desert, they just got the Ten Commandments, they have not yet made the golden calf. So the hope is that they're past the idol worship, but they are going to see idols in Eretz Israel. They're going to see Kruvim and stuff like that when they get there, uh, eventually. Watch out. It's a, a slippery slope from looking at Kruvim and say, to actually making Kruvim or making other idols and worshiping them, all in the name of the idea that you're commemorating a mitzvah. I have a an idol in the back of my yard, and it's a, like I say, it's in the image of a boy and a girl kissing each other, making out something like that. So that's that's you call Yisrael and Hashem. Anybody can do that, which is you're not supposed to do it. Only in the base of Mikdash, only under special circumstances, and only shown to the public on Shoshu Gom by authorized Kohanim in a safe environment. There's no such thing as a safe environment. So Zakta Meshachachma. Uh, again, who have done the mitzvah shalshugon? Shekishiyavu leiros is pnei Hashem. Haymegalan mesakruvim heralem chibasan pnei Hashem shemorin zelzeh lochein amar kodem chalil lelosedamu sheish bozet inyan abodus kilulim ortmunin. Don't think that this is some kind of an idol, actually, that you worship, or some picture of God, or something along those lines. Don't don't mess up that way, okay? Don't mess up that way. Um Rakhumitsu But rather it's a weather vein to show you which way the wind is blowing in terms of how does Rabbi Shalom feel about Kali throne. If things are right, then the, the Kruvim will be in such a position. If things are wrong, the Kruvim will be in the in a different position. And therefore yeah, this what well, to me is a very, very interesting um, approach over here. Yeah, if this is right, that Hashem, this is Meshachachim, not me. That Hashem is saying, I know when you get to Israel, there's going to be a challenge. People are going to say, no idols. They say, well, I saw one of the base of Migdush. 
If I can do that, why can't I make a Pesel Micha or something like that? That seems to have been the justification for guys like Pesel Micha. So, uh, I mean, you got idols and Beit Samigash. Meaning, you see, there's not an actual Jewish taboo when any representations of the divine whatsoever. Because you have the, the Krubim. You do. Um, you know, there's representation, you know, rather of, you know, the, the institution, the Kargas behind them. And therefore, before Hashem mentions, it's in the desert, right after the Ten Commandments, before Hashem, you know, gives all the stuff he, and, and tells you about the fact that pretty soon you're going to be in your own country for the first time. You're not going to be working for the Egyptians anymore. That's over. And you don't have to worry about them coming to invade you or anything like that. Uh, with that in mind, with that in mind, so you're going to have a situation where, um, well, I just got interrupted. You're going to have a situation, um, what was I saying, in which you, you're going to see images. okay? And to me, that says a lot. Because if there, why would there be an image in base of Migdash. You say, but you want to show Chibasim Zelazah. there. Ah, it's got to be some other way. It goes to show you that images are okay as long as you don't confuse them with the reality. You see two Krubim hugging each other. It's a sim and how Hashem is relation to Kali Yisrael. But don't say to really two Krubim up there in heaven hugging and kissing each other and stuff like that. Don't cross the line into idolatry. Now they did. In the end, it's too hard to make the case. You know, he said, listen, the Krubim is an idol, so what's the problem with idols? It's not like we have no representation of the divine whatsoever. So you have your way and I have mine. All which, as we know, led to disaster to Avodazar and who knows what else. That's just the way, that's the way it was. But uh, by way of a warning, if you're going to be farmers in Israel and then require you, you know, for the, the mitzvahs of Tlis Ba'aris and all that sort of thing, uh, then realize that... Uh, you have to take appropriate measures before you introduce any kind of new program. So if you're going to have over here Kruvim, I want to tell you before we even start, uh, you know, uh, the next passage is Shalosh Begolan. So you see the Shalosh Begolan are um, going to be celebrated holidays, but this is what to be fearful of it's anything else. So if you have a kid going to some school like that, the hours are funny. Uh, you you may want to you know check up with them uh, when they're home. Anyway, I think that's an interesting insight. And uh, once again, I want to thank Rami Maring and family, and we wish everybody a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.